Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Bring the covers. Steve Smith is back. And Fortress Edgebaston has been breached by the Australians. Oh, for four. What an innings, what a player. Oh my word, what a delivery that is. This is Pat Cummins, this is Australia, absolutely at their best. Oh, big shot, big shot, what's he doing? Goal! Marvellous scenes, Australia retain the ashes. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Unplayable Podcast. This is part five of our Ashes Revisited series and this episode is on the fourth test at Old Trafford and here to look back on that historic test. We welcome Australia captain Tim Payne. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get to Old Trafford, Tim, let's touch on the end of the Leeds test. I know you don't really want to talk about that one too much. Oh, Australia, do we have to? Australia's just been beaten. You get back to a dejected change room and address the team. What was the, the message that you wanted to get across loud and clear to the guys? Yeah, oh, look, I think obviously it was right in the middle of an Ashes series and um, we just lost a game that clearly we should have won. Um, and I guess with the Ashes still being live, the series still being live, it was um, just about hammering home the point that, you know, we were playing really well and we did play really well and it was sort of making sure we took the emotion out of um, the loss and concentrated on, um, you know, our processes. And, and as I said, we were playing some really good cricket for uh, most of that test match. And the message was, I suppose, if we continued to do that, then um, we would we would win the next test and win the Ashes. How did you sleep that night? And how confronting was it watching the final hour again the following morning? Yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't sleep fantastically well. I'm not going to lie. It was, um, it was a bit of a tough one. Um, had the families there, which which wasn't ideal. Um, and you want to sort of spend a bit of time together as a group and, and get over a loss like that. Uh, but, yeah, well, I think we just had a few quiet beers in the team room. Uh, didn't sleep well, as you said, and then sort of got up the next day expecting to go and have a have a coffee and, and a bit of a team walk. And um, JL sort of sprung that team meeting on us, which um, I think at the time went down like a lead balloon with most of the boys. But um, I think once we got in there and, and got into it, um, the room and the group really opened up. And, um, you know, there was a number of us who admitted to making mistakes. And, um, you know, if you don't admit your mistakes, it's, it's hard to correct them. So um, we did that. And, and in the end, it was a, it was a really worthwhile exercise. And, um, you know, we were able to then walk out of that room having left it and move on to the next test. You guys went to Derby for a tour game. Was it hard to refocus for the fourth test after what had just happened? Uh, no, not really. I think, if anything, it, it made us a bit hungrier. Um, as I said, you can play test cricket and play really well for four days and not get the job done and, and you can lose a test match. So particularly when, um, you know, they're two quality sides and, and they've got 
a player like in Stokes and Joff Archer in the opposition that can take games away from you really quickly. So it was a good lesson for us to learn. And um, yeah, no, we got down to Derby. As I said, we had the meeting in um, at Leeds and, and moved on from it. And then got down to Derby and had a um, an excellent game of um, touch footy, which um, which was great fun. And uh, again, just got the group. Um, I suppose got a bit of a buzz around the group. Got a bit of. Uh, what would you call it? A bit of banter and a bit of rubbish being talked, and um, we had a good time. And um, Derby, I think that tour game came at a good time. It, it allowed us a little bit of time to let go of Leeds and, and move on to Manchester. Steve Smith said that touch game was the highlight off the field of his entire Ashes yeah. series. He enjoyed it. Yeah, and he played well too. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie; he was he was in the top few. He he his passing was excellent. Um, I think he might have been on Marnus's team though, which which probably let him down a little bit. Manus was clearly the worst on, and he came into the game really talking it up. But it was it was one of those things that you do as a bit of a warm up, and all of a sudden the whole session turned into like an hour of, of touch footy, and it was competitive and and surprisingly very high standard. So um, it was good because we you know sporty like these days you have to wear GPSs and mm. get all your running measured, and they don't let you play games much because blokes don't run. Well, I think we blew that theory out of the window. Blokes covered a lot of ground. I think they were very impressed. So, um, mind you, we haven't seen too many games of it since, which is disappointing. But it was it was a highlight. It was competitive. Uh, and it went down to the wire. Yeah, they wouldn't have been too happy when they saw Nathan Lyon go over rolling on his ankle. But all good. He, no. he made it through. Yeah, I think Dad put a little bit of mail on that. There must have been a few <laughs> cameras around. Um, Roy sort of looked over and thought, geez, we don't get to play too many games too often, surely. I know even if, even if it's... it's half serious you're not going to show it because it'll ruin the game for everyone but um, yeah so everyone sort of just went on as if it didn't happen and um, thankfully Gaz was, was okay to go So you get to Manchester for the fifth test Australia makes two changes Stark comes in for Pattinson while Kawaja is dropped for the returning Steve Smith Tim how hard was it to see Usman dropped given how integral he'd been in the side since that South African tour Yeah it's always difficult to see um, see players get dropped particularly people and players as, as good as Usman is, and we know how good he is. Um, unfortunately, he, he hadn't quite put the runs on the board um, for the start of that Ashes series, and and Steve's injury allowed you know Manus to have an opportunity. And we saw how well he played in um, when he came into the side. So um, unfortunately, when when Steve was coming back, the best player in the world, someone's got to make room. So um, it's disappointing for Uzi, but he handled it really well, and um, yeah, and it was a pretty good change in the end, bring Steve back in, he batted pretty well. Yeah, he has a pretty good game. So you win the toss and bat and inside the first over, Dave Warner is out again to Stuart Broad. Oh, yeah. oh, gone. oh he's done him again. You've seen David Warner carve up attacks, but could you believe how much he was struggling this series, particularly against Broad? Well, no, I didn't expect it, but I could see how he could have troubles with it. He was up and about, um, he was bowling a little bit quicker than I'd seen him bowl. And the movement he was getting, particularly to the left, was, was extravagant. So um, it was difficult. Obviously, Davey hadn't started the series, but the weather, Stuart, Stuart's confidence against Davey was sky high, and, and Davey's against him was probably rock bottom. So uh, it was a bit of a perfect storm um, for, for Brody. But um, I said a few times, like you would not have known around the team that David Warner wasn't scoring runs in that Ashton series. He was, mm. um, he was great in the change rooms. He was great out on the field. Um, I think that you know shows sort of the, the mental strength of him just to be able to soldier on and continue being um, 
as he is always around our team, which was um, a great lesson to you know some of the young guys that were on that squad. Marcus Harris is the next to go. Australia are two for 28. That brought Steve Smith to the crease alongside Marnus Lubbers. Shane, Tim, how did you feel as captain having Steve Smith back in the team and walking out to bat? Well, he's been in um, sparkling touch, hasn't he, through, through the ashes. Um, and I thought missing the test, whilst, whilst it wasn't ideal, what I really liked about that period of time was that um, commentators and I think even Joffre and a few of the English players started to think that they had a way of getting him out. Mm. Um, I mean, he scored that many runs against them, and he misjudged one bouncer, which which got him in a nasty area, and um, obviously knocked him out of a test match. But um, look, I, I think I don't know. You'd have to ask Steve, but I, I reckon he would have read those comments and heard people talking about that. Um, and I think you know, someone as good as Steve, you don't want to put any extra carrot in front of him. And, um, you know, that's, again, as good an innings as I think you'll, you'll probably ever see in Ashes cricket, maybe in all, all Test match cricket, because he's, you know, two for 20. Um, crowd, again, up and about, coming back from, you know, a pretty nasty head injury. Um, and to be able to just wander out and take it all in your stride and, and take off as if nothing had happened was, uh, was again, pretty extraordinary to watch. So together, Smith and Labashain at 116 for the third wicket before Marnus is out for 67. Now, Tim, this podcast series has confirmed that Marnus cops a lot of stick from his teammates. I'm sure you'd agree yeah. with that. But how much he respect does. did he earn as a player, given how well he played, coming in in bizarre fashion? Yeah, uh, I think a lot. Uh, Marnus is a bit of the whipping boy because he, he sort of puts himself out there and, you know, he likes to give a lot. He doesn't just cop it, Marnus. He likes to give it as well. Right. The only problem is he's not great at giving it, so he opens himself <laughs> up to an absolute barrage uh, back the other way. But, um, yeah, look, I think Marnus had always provided great energy. He was a great team man. People enjoyed having him around our group. Um, and we'd seen him play very well domestically, uh, which is whether he'd be able to bring that across into international cricket. You don't know that with anyone with the pressure and, and scrutiny of international cricket, but... Um, if anything, I think he looks an even better player. He looks like he thrives on the extra attention and the extra scrutiny. And, um, yeah, the, he came in. I remember when Jofra hit him second ball, I think, after Steve had retired her. It was just like, well, that's, that's not good. Mm. And I think even before he scored runs, the, the moment he stood up and marked centre and looked, him, looked Jofra straight back in the eye, he sort of thought, we've got a player here. Uh, see how good whether it be up to be able to, as I said, adapt um, to the extra pressure. I think when you get filled in, when you substitute for a concussion and you get filled in second ball with the fastest bowler in the world and you just hop straight back up, ready to fight, um, I think he sent a, a great message to not only our change room but also to England that um, you know this is a man that's going to be around for a little while and they're going to have some trouble getting rid of. Rain brings about an early end to day one with Australia 3 for 170 from 44 overs. On day two, Archer drops a tough court and bold chance to give Smith a life on 65. That'll prove costly. Travis Head and Matthew Wade both get starts without going on. And uh, you enter at 5 for 224 with Steve Smith on 90. So, Tim, how are you feeling about the state of the innings and how was Steve out there in the middle when you got out there? Um, well, Steve was in total control. There's no worries about him. I was a bit nervous. I hadn't scored too many runs um, going into that. Um, innings and and we won the toss and batted on what was a really good wicket and was obviously going to deteriorate as the game went on but 
Um, you know, we know we would have needed a big first innings of sort of 350, 400 plus and um, five to 220 odd. It was it was right in the balance. So it was important to, to get into a, a partnership with Steve. And, and we knew, look, it, it made it a little bit easier for me coming in because you just knew with Steve, the form he was in, the way he was playing throughout the whole Ashes, you just had to stay full at the other end and give him time. And, and Peter Siddle showed that in the first test. Um, so that was pretty much my focus, was trying to stay out there with, with him and um, place as many balls, but at the same time know when I need loose to, to jump on it so the bowlers couldn't get into any sort of rhythm, I suppose, or um, or get on top of us. And um, thankfully it worked out really well. We put on a, a good partnership and put us where we sort of wanted to be in that first inning. Two overs before lunch, Smith brings up his century. Well, the misfield means that Steve Smith will take the one. He'll take the next one as well. He'll take the helmet off. He'll prepare to raise the bat. This man is incredible. He loves making runs. He loves making them against anyone, but in particular, England in the Ashes. What does say about Smith, Tim, that uh, he's come back after that knock at Lords, missed out on that amazing test match at Leeds, and then scores a magnificent 100? Could you sense that... Something special is going to happen in this test for Steve? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I think it just shows, you know, not only is he extremely talented and, and gifted um, with his skill and his hand-eye coordination and his balance and all that sort of stuff, but he's, um, you know, he's tough and he's disciplined and, um, again, to, to be able to come through the week or so before um, and then just be able to sort of put it to the side, go out and, and focus on what needed to be done is, um, he's a lot harder done than it is said, and um, yeah, again, it was just a it was a magnificent innings. It was like he didn't even have to watch when he was on strike; he just knew what was going to happen. And then mm. you could tune back in when someone else got on strike. <laughs> I didn't feel nervous when Smithy was on strike at all. After lunch, you edge a wide half volley from Stuart Broad to Jason Roy at second yep. slips, but he drops a sitter, Tim. Well, that swung and it's dropped. Toe end of the bat. Jason Roy, who shelled a couple in the series, he's dropped another. We would have hated that, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. I um, was very disappointed, particularly being Jason. Um, sort of rubbed, rubbed me up the wrong way for a lot of that series, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed that. And, and yeah, I, I was I was a bit upset because it was a ball that should have been hit before. Just swung a little bit late and sort of came off the toe end and, and flew quite low. But, um, thankfully, he didn't hold on to it. And um, I got another opportunity and... Um, yeah, again, just tried to focus back in on making sure that I, I spent time out there and, and build a partnership with Steve. Was it Roy just giving you a bit of cheek in the field that rubbed you up the wrong way? No, not really. Oh, look, Jason Roy's like an extremely talented cricketer, but I think he rubbed all opposition up the wrong way with the way he goes about it. But, um, you know, the way he sort of walks around, he's, he's, he's really confident. And um, I think that's just his personality. And, um, you know, it works for some people. He's, he seems like the sort of guy, I reckon, if he played on your team, you'd love him. And if you don't, then you don't. So, yeah. um, you know, that's not a personal thing. I think that's just the way he holds himself. He sort of, a, um, you know, puffs his chest out and looks to take the game on. And um, that's not just in his batting, that's in his personality as well. So it's, it's worked pretty well for him. Um, as I said, I think he's someone who's, who's really liked by his teammates and, and gives guys around him a lot of confidence. Um, and, and often those guys are the guys that are probably disliked more by the opposition. Um, but again, yeah, it's not a personal thing. It's just a um, bit of a personality thing, I guess. Were you conscious of the way you were hitting them that series? Did you really want to get there and, and, and make your mark with the bat at some point? 
Oh, I think you always want to. Um, again, my role sort of batting at seven is to make sure I'm, I'm getting into partnerships with our whoever the you know the the last batsman in our top six is still in, um, or or to eke out runs with our tail. And um, yeah, we hadn't been as good at that back end of our innings as we would have liked. Um, probably up until Manchester, actually, that was a really good game. Starkey got fifty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, look, I, I want to contribute. Obviously, my role in the side is, is first and foremost to, to wiki keep as well as I can, captain the side well. And um, as Jay always says to me, if you get runs, it's a bonus. So um, I think that's just his way of trying to sort of take pressure off my batting, which I've always been really relaxed about my wiki keeping and, and always put a lot of pressure on myself with my batting. And sometimes that can take away from, from my natural uh, flair and, and want to play my shots and try and score quickly. And um, yeah, Jay always. Jay always says that to me, just sort of just go out, have fun and, and take them on. So um, sort of what I've been doing and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but um, that's the game of cricket. On 118, Smith is out. Jack Leach finds the edge, but it's a no ball. No way. Seriously. Unbelievable. A left arm spinner to Steve Smith, a no ball. Tim, could you believe it? No, I couldn't. But if it was going to happen to anyone in that series, it was Smithy. Yeah. Um, he was doing as he pleased. So, yeah, I remember watching it and just thinking, oh, I can't believe he's got that leech has got him out. I didn't think I'd ever see Smithy get out back to him the way he <laughs> plays spin. And, and, yeah, and then when it was called a no ball, I thought, oh, God, they're in trouble here. You don't let a player like that get out and then get another chance because he kind of gets to taste that little bit of disappointment when he thinks he's out. Mm. and crack the shit with himself and then to come back in I thought oh god if I can hang around with him here he's going to go really big and, um, and thankfully for us he did but yeah I do remember the crowd and the scoreboard and watching that the slowdown of that going over and I'm thinking please go over please go over please go over and when it came down it was just oh, it was magic <laughs> Now, Joe Root reads the right act to his team after that no ball's called. Could you sense things starting to unravel out there for England? No, not really. I, and to be honest, I don't really remember that because I think I was watching Steve walk back because he yeah. sort of walked off the 15, 20 metres. Um, again, I think I tried to say to him, you're right, mate, come on, like, blah, blah. And he was just like, yep, cool. You know, basically get out of my way like he is when he bats. Um, yeah, so I wasn't really aware that that had happened. Um at the time, but as you can imagine, I mean, imagine you had Virat Kohli on 115, he's already smacked you around, and then yeah. you finally get him out, and it's a front foot no ball. I can only imagine what that must have felt like for their team, knowing that how hard he had been to get out for the first three tests or two tests he played and how well he was playing. Um, so looking back on it, yeah, I don't know if it was sort of a riot act or he just saw some body language go, oh, Christ. Mm. Um, you know, I'm him sort of saying, you know, we've got him out once, we can get him again. Maybe that was his message or maybe he was really angry. I'm not, I'm not too sure. But, um, yeah, I certainly sympathise with the position he was in. So England then lose Ben Stokes, who pulls out of the attack with one ball remaining in his 11th over. You get another life and then raise your bat for your half century. This all happens yeah. in less than half an hour. Tim, <laughs> Test cricket's played over five days, but it just still amazes you how quickly things can happen in such a short period of time. Oh, absolutely. It, it is. It's such a funny game when it can go, obviously, for four, three, four days and, it, and it's just sort of like nothing's happening, nothing's happening, and then it can explode in the back end, you know, when pitches deteriorate or, as you know, when you've got Australia versus England and you've got David Warner, Steve Smith, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Gary Lyon, bloody Josh Hazelwood. You've got five or six players in both teams that can break a game in a matter of 
balls. Um, that's why I think it's such a fascinating game and, and why you've got to be on your game for every ball of every session. We saw that in at Headingley. Um, you know, when you're playing with and against the best in the world, one guy can take it away from you so quickly. So that's why I think it's such a hard game to play mentally and, and it's why you never feel on top. You know, you can be absolutely flying for three days, but you're still not sleeping all that well during the game and your breakfast, you can't quite get it down. You've got that <laughs> feel in your stomach every morning for five days because you, you know, you're playing against the best in the world. And as I said, it can, it can be such a slow burn, but one small thing can make such a huge difference as well. So it's, it's like oh, it's a marathon, but there's just a series of sprints in it as well. And um, it's up and down and, it's just an absolute roller coaster of, of emotion, and it's um, and you've got to be highly skilled to, to be able to deal with the players that you're coming up against at that level. So that's why that's why we love it. Um, that's why we do what we do, and I think it's what enthralls fans as well. When um, you know these tight contests over five days can go down to the last few balls, as Headingley and Manchester did. I think they were both of them were two of the, the great test matches you'll ever see. Mm. In the over after say. Australia 5 for 369. You're out for 58. Well, it looked like a good delivery, this. 74 miles an hour, but it's right on the perfect line and length and looked like it just bounced and left the Australian captain. Steve Smith is still out there and powers onto 200. Gets it away this time. Steve Smith continues to dominate this series. Makes up for missing the last test by a double century at Old Trafford. A world-class player batting in a world of his own. Tim, have, have you noticed a change in Steve Smith at all since he's come back into the side after the ban? Uh, yes and no. Like, I don't think he goes about things a hell of a lot different. Um, and look, it's the same with David, it's the same with Cameron. People sort of make mistakes in the spare of the moment. Um, decisions or moments and um, you know I don't think we can judge their whole character or make up over you know one mistake that was made so um, look as I've said Steve along with Dave and Cam have been awesome um, before that happened and they've been fantastic um, since it as well and we're very lucky clearly particularly in the Ashes to have him back but um, yeah in terms of the cricketer he still goes about things exactly the same way his desire to be the best and to score runs every single day is, is phenomenal, to be honest. Um, and something you sort of see, I think, what I've sort of seen in my career when the best players are all the same. They've all seemed to have this, just this energy to keep scoring runs. There's never days where you think, oh, is he tired? Is he going to just slog? Or, you know, Ricky Ponding was the same. David Warner's the same. Um, that's the really exciting thing I love about Marnus. He's the same. So, um yeah, no, as a cricketer, he still goes about things the same way. Smith goes for 211 eventually. Mitch Stark, as you said, comes out and plays some glorious shots on his way to 54, not out. Mm. And Australia declare it 8 for 497 before day two ends. Pat Cummins removes Joe Denley with a freak reflex catch from Matt Wade at bat pad. I think it's good. Yes, it is good. Matthew Wade in that position at short leg and Australia have snapped up a wicket here right towards the close. Now you were pointing at someone in the slips or the gully. Do you remember that? Do you know what that was about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was actually was talking to Steve a few balls before about where, what sort of depth, because we had, Joe Denley sort of had this 
he, he kept hitting them off his thigh, but they go a little bit deeper and a little bit more behind square. Mm-hmm. Uh, off Camo in particular, he kept sort of flying off his inside edge. And I just, I just moved Wadey, I think, uh, maybe the test match before. We put him there a few times. And then so we started there with him in that one. And Smith was sort of saying, do you think we should just have more regulation? And we sort of, I was arming and arming and arming and arming. I said, no, no, just leave him there. And then like the very next ball went went there and Wadey caught it off his chest. So if anything, we should have moved him back. But um, yeah, we kind of just had a bit of a laugh about it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't an unbelievable catch. It flew off the inside edge, off his iPad and then took off towards Wadey. I think he, it either hit Wadey in the chest or he sort of didn't quite get his hand to it and then popped up. And, um, you know, those second bites, when people think that's an actually really easy catch once it stands, sits up in the air like that, to be able to sort of slow yourself down and, and take those catches are sometimes actually the more difficult ones. So, uh, and obviously it was a big moment um, in the game as well. So we wanted to get a couple of wickets that night if we could and that was a really good start. The start of day three is delayed by rain and after Josh Hazelwood removes night watchman Craig Overton, Joe Root and Rory Burns put on 141 in more than 50 overs. Tim, how do you keep the energy levels up in the field when there's a big partnership like that? Uh, well, test cricket, you don't have to so much. Um, you know, everyone out there is, is professional and understands there's a certain level of um, of energy and um, an attitude that sort of goes with, with our fielding in the Australian cricket team. So, um, you know, a 140-run partnership at that level isn't, isn't massive. Um, and particularly when you've got 500 on the board, um, you've just got to keep, Everyone knows when you've got runs on the board, you've just got to keep working, keep working, and eventually, when it does turn, you've got to be got to be ready to take your chances. I remember that whole Test match; we bowled and fielded very, very well and, and kept them under pressure. And um, you know, you just need to be able to get that that one breakthrough, and then all of a sudden, they're three for you know one sixty, and and they're still three hundred and forty behind us. So um, again, it can be a slow burn, but nothing's easy in Test cricket. You got to work for your wickets, particularly with quality players like that at the crease, and. Um, and that partnership and that period of the game was no different. But, um, yeah, it's always easier to, to keep energy in the field when you have got 500 on the board, no doubt about that. Hazelwood comes back on and gets that breakthrough, gets rid of Burns, Root, and then demolishes Jason Roy's stumps. Bowling! Hazelwood it is. A nip-backer through the defences. Middle stump flattened. How impressive was Hazelwood in that series? Yeah, he was awesome. Um, second third and fourth test in particular he was he was unbelievably good um, we know he how good he is um, and I think you know having um, James Pattinson back on the scene and, and, and actually playing ahead of him in that first test is and was a, a great thing for us we've got four absolute world class bowlers and, and most of the time we only take three of them into a game so um, you know I think they maybe that pace group started looking around and not that they weren't um, always improving going into that, but I think they drive each other to be better. Um, and I think Josh was a great example of that. I think guys can sulk and kick cans when they don't play. He took it in his stride, came back to the next test and, and bowled brilliantly and, and continued that on throughout the Ashes. And, and Mitchell Stark was another one who got limited goes in, in the Ashes and, and came into the Manchester test and took some really crucial wickets for us there. And then um, again, had a huge summer when we got back to Australia. So, uh, yeah, we're starting to see the benefits of having four or five absolute quality fast bowlers around our group all the time. Um, even though that, you know, the four of them are probably in the best, you know, dozen 
um, fast bowlers in the world, they, they keep pushing each other to get better and better and that's a great proposition for, for us as a team. Speaking of Mitch Stark, uh, day three ends with England 5 for 200. New ball's taken early on day four and Stark knocks over Johnny Bairstow with a beauty. What a jaffer. The one that went across followed by the big in-swinger. Brilliant from Stark. So much was made about line and length and keeping the pressure on, keeping the runs down that series. But what's yeah. it like for you as captain to have an explosive bowl like Stark at your disposal? Oh, yeah, it's a great weapon to have up your sleeve. And, um, you know, and most of the tests we played over there, the, the, the wickets offered a little bit of seam and swing. And, um, you know, we thought that that suited like a Peter Siddle or a, or a James Pattinson at times a bit more than a Starkey. But Manchester was a very flat and hard wicket. And on those wickets, you need guys with that bit of X factor, a bit of extra pace and height, um, and just a bit of X factor. And, and Starkey certainly got that. So he came in and, and did a brilliant job for us on, on what was a pretty difficult wicket for fast bowlers to operate on. England avoid the follow-on, but Australia holds a 196-run lead after first innings. Uh, Australia's second innings doesn't get off to the greatest start, falling to four for 44 after 14 overs. Yeah. Tim, were there any slight thoughts of, of Headingley creeping in? Um, not why Smithy was still there, no. Yeah. Um, and again, I think we had a decent lead. So, look, we knew you only had to get up over 300. And as we saw in, in Headingley, it would take something miraculous to, to, to beat it. So we knew, yeah, four for 40 wasn't the best start, but we still knew we were probably ahead of the game and, um, and that was that was what's important, particularly as I said with Steve in at the time, um, Wadey with him, uh, myself coming off some runs, uh, Mitchell Stark coming off some runs. So we, you know, we knew we only needed you know, another hundred odd runs, and we'd be absolutely ahead of the game. So um, yeah, but again, another brilliant innings from Smithy this time, a, a bit more of a, you know, because time was running out, we needed time to bowl them out on that wicket. Um, again, have a guy like that just to be able to read the situation and play accordingly, and particularly when we're already four down, for him to go out and and put the foot down after the break and and put the pressure back on them again, just completely swung the, the momentum of the inning. Smith scores eighty-two, well below his average for the series, but never mind. <laughs> and he puts on one hundred and five with Matthew Wade. Uh, you batted with yeah. Wade out there for about an over, but uh, what was it yeah. like? playing in an Ashes contest with a bloke who grew up. What, was he just a couple of streets away with, from you when you were growing up? Yeah, well, other end of Lauderdale, but Lauderdale's not that big. It was sure. always walking distance. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, even right back to the first test in, uh, in the second innings in Headingley, when, we, again, we were well on top of the game. It was, um, you know, a bit of a surreal moment. Um, you know, two guys that, that played in the same backyard to be playing in a test match uh, in England was, was, yeah, it was pretty special. Um and again, his innings in that second innings, I think it was only 20 or 30 odd, but again, to build the partnership with Smithy when we were four for 30, four for 40, and, and England getting a bit of a sniff of maybe coming back into the game, it was, again, it was a really crucial partnership and, um, and they actually scored really quickly doing it at the same time, which then allowed us the time we needed to bowl them out. You declare Australia's innings closed on six for 186, setting England 363 to win, and you couldn't have asked for a better start. First, Cummins gets Burns. <laughs> Oh, that's gone up in the air, and that is the worst possible start for England. Then next ball, he castles Joe Root for a golden duck. Oh, my word, what a delivery that is. This is Pat Cummins, this is Australia, absolutely at their best. The perfect delivery. Aim at the top of the off, 
hit the top of off. And the England captain is gone first ball. Pat Cummins must be a captain's dream. How good was he that series? Yeah, he is. Um, that's why they call him Winks. He, <laughs> he just gets it done. Yeah. He, um, you know, and no matter where we put him on, like if we give him the new ball, we bowl him first change. I think that's what makes him, um, in my opinion, now the best fast bowler in Test cricket in the world. It's just, you know, some guys are, you know, need the front the new ball. Pat can come on at any stage of an inning on any wicket and be a handful, and that's worth its weight in gold. So, um, yeah, he, he had it, uh, the edge over Joe in most of the Ashes series, to be fair. He'd been able to just bowl that ball that troubled him. And, you know, you talk a lot about being able to hit the top of off stump. It's not as, as easy as it sounds. And, and Camo does it time and time again where he literally hits the top of off stump. And it's, it's a hard ball to defend at, at his pace. And particularly when you get it very first ball, uh, with a bit of gloom and, and the lights are on and um, yeah to hear that crash into his stumps um, I think he got him twice maybe first ball one one there and, and one at Lords in the second test and um, yeah they were probably two of my favourites outside of winning the Ashes I thought when he knocked the opposition captain over first ball those innings was was huge moments in the game. So it stumps England are two for 18, needing heaps to win. Having experienced leads, Tim, what was the team talk in the sheds that night heading into day five? Um, not a lot that night, I don't think. Um, just more about getting yourselves ready physically. So I imagine day four, the test match of the fourth test, there would have been a lot of recovering. So you wouldn't, we wouldn't have spoken that much that night. Um, and, and again, anything we would have, it would have been just about delivering what we talk about and, and the plans that we had for each of those guys. And if, if we could deliver it for long enough, then, um, you know, it might take an hour, it might take five hours, but we had faith if we stuck to the plans that, that we had for their players and their team that um, we'd get the job done. And, and that's what I kind of kept reinforcing, I think, was, um, you know, sticking to, to our plans and sticking to our process um, that we'd spoken about in the lead up to the Ashes and, and we'd had success at doing it. Um, and again, we had plenty of time on our side on day five and, and a wicket starting to deteriorate. So, um, you know, when that's the case, what you got to do is get enough balls in the right areas. And um, With our attack, we certainly did that. It did take a little while to get that first wicket on day five. Pat yeah. Cummins, just after drinks in the morning session, he bowled Jason Roy. And then Cummins gets yeah. the big wicket of Ben Stokes, who feathers a ball to you and walks. Were you surprised to see Stokes yeah. or any batter in that series walk? Uh, well, I wasn't too fast, to be honest, because I knew it was out. So um, I was more surprised it wasn't given than I saw him walk. And that was kind of what I said to the umpire when he, he wasn't given out. I was about to sort of, I don't know if I forgot that I could review, but I, I, I felt like, and I could be wrong here, but I felt like I was about to say something quite aggressive to the umpire about it. And then I thought, oh, we've got to review anyway, so it's okay. And then Stokes walked off, so we didn't have to use it um, oh. anyway. But um, yeah, it was a pretty clear sort of inside edge from, from where I was standing. Obviously, to the umpire, his bat would have been slightly um, shielded, but it, yeah, I, I clearly see it come off the, the inside edge of his toe, toe inside edge. And um, yeah, I was pretty happy to hang on to it because obviously the week before he'd, he'd been a bit of a thorn in our side. Well, he's got something on that, has he? Tim Payne is adamant. Stokes is walking. Now, Nathan Lyon gets Stanley for 53, and halfway through the day, Australia has half the wickets 
be required to retain the Ashes. A ball laid to start yeah. caps Bearstow from around the wicket and it's 6 of 138. Tim, at that point, yeah. did you allow yourself for just a second to think about maybe the game being over, the Ashes being retained? No, I didn't. I'd learnt that lesson the week before. So, um, again, I think we all did. So, like, yeah, we were pumped up and we were bowling well and we are on top. But um, as we'd seen throughout that Ashes both ways, it was it was bloody hard to win a test match and each side was going to fight it right down to the last wicket. So, um, again, trying to keep our, our team level um, and, and keeping on our thoughts on executing what we needed to execute um, rather than getting too caught up in the emotion of, um, of a big test match and the big crowd and, um, you know, the attention that, that the Ashes was getting back home. Like, we could feel that. We could feel the support that was coming through, you know, your friends and your family were saying, oh, it's on this and everyone's talking about it. And, and that was that was a great feeling. But, um, yeah, we sort of learned our lesson the week before, I think, about maybe getting a little bit too far out in front of ourselves and um, we need to just get back to focusing on getting those last four wickets. Well, 21 overs pass between the 6th and 7th wickets. Butler bowled by Josh Hazelwood without playing a shot. Oh, bowling. Double bluff expected it short. Tailed in, swung in. Huge wicket for Australia. Now, you had fielders all around the bat to sort of signal a short ball, but Hazelwood pitches it up. How satisfying is it when those plans come off? Yeah, it was good. He was pitching for Will Moore. Josh was sort of getting in line with his off stump and, and, try, and trying to get forward and cover the ball coming in. So I actually think it was Wadey who came up with the plan of putting a guy in close. And I think it was Wadey who actually fielded there too. Instead of the short leg having a silly mid-off, um, you know, to stop him from sort of lunging forward and getting outside the line. And we thought we could target his stumps that way. And um, again, as soon as we put the guy in close, he's, his stride forward wasn't as big, whether he was aware of it and, and worried about the inside edge popping up when Josh was getting a few to swing in. But um, again, it stopped him from sort of covering the line of off stump and, and Josh got one to come back a little bit further. It was a beautiful delivery um, and, and crashed into his off stump. So again, another another really good plan um, and another really well executed wicket, which was, and, and Josh was obviously a huge one. He, we know how good a player he is and, um, and as well, I think with the England team, they, they tend to thrive off, off him. If he's confident in playing well, I think England can be as well. Well, that's good captaincy from Tim Payne. Brought them in and around the bat. Bat pad offside, short leg, leg gully. Looking for the short ball was Butler. Lyon then removes Jofra Archer and Hazelwood hits Overton with an in-swinger and it's not given, but you review. Ball tracking, yeah. showing the ball would have just gone down leg side. Now you had yeah. one review up your sleeve. Were you intent on keeping that just in case? Uh, yeah, I was certainly hoping that I wouldn't have to use it, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping we could maybe clean bowl some blokes. That would have been <laughs> ideal. Um, but, yeah, again, I wasn't too aware of it at the time, um, I don't think. I thought, again, I just thought on that pitch with it deteriorating, we were going to create enough chances one way or another to, to get the job done. So Leeds didn't, wasn't in the back of your mind with your reviews? No, not really. I mean... I've got so much going clearly through my mind when, when I'm wiki-keeping um, first and foremost to, to make sure that I'm ready um, to, to take a chance if it comes. So at times at times when cricket's moving really slowly, you've got a lot of time to think about stuff like that. And when it's like that and you're looking at the time, you're looking at the lights, you're looking at how many overs we've got left, you're looking at you know what who we need from what end, that can take up a lot of your time and then there's other times where you've got feel like you've got all day to make decisions so that last sort of 
hour and a half of, of Manchester was one of those moments where, um, you know, there was plenty happening and plenty um, sort of keeping me busy. And, um, yeah, so the review system or how many we had left wasn't, wasn't really in my mind at that stage. I was more worried about the light okay. at that stage because it was starting to get dark and there was a big cloud coming over. And, um, yeah, I was just thinking, I was more thinking about that, that, you know, geez, we need to get a wicket here because that rain looks like it's coming. Well, the second new ball doesn't bring a wicket and 16 overs to go, you hand the ball to Marnus Labashane. What made you give Marnus a go? Well, I've always had a lot of faith in Marnus ever since I, I captained him in, in Dubai and he took wickets for us. Um, I know he's, his best ball is very, very dangerous. Um, we had a lot of rough to work with outside the left-handers off stump and um, and Jack Leach was, was on strike. So I was just kind of waiting for the moment where we got an over. I was probably thinking about it for three or four overs in advance, but I wanted to make sure we, we had him on strike first because I thought if, if we didn't get him on strike, then Overton would probably block the over out and, um, and not get him on strike. So, yeah, as soon as we got him on strike for the start of the over, I just I thought, bugger it, just, just take it on. As I said, he's, his best ball is, is a wicket-taking ball, and there was a huge amount of rough for him out there. And, um, yeah, I thought the leg spin um, would would obviously get a little bit more spin or bounce out of the rough than even Nathan was getting if he got one right. And um, he lobbed one right in it and it absolutely exploded, as we thought it might, and, and, and copped a glove of bleach in, went straight up in the air, and um, did the job which we were after so again it's, it's great when those sort of plans come off Ball bounce glove gone superb captaincy what a change Labashain with the battle series it's Labashain with the ball how much did Manus carry on in the huddle after getting that wicket no not as much actually I think he would have had it been the last one but um, he's reminded me of it since if any time <laughs> there's any rough outside the left hander he says Skip, you know I'll hit that you know I'll hit that rough for you. <laughs> and he did this year. He bowled, I can't remember who it was now, oh, one of the Kiwis, I think, in Perth. We brought him on there. <laughs> Just a little bit of rough and he clipped it and hit the odd stump again. So, um, But, yeah, again, that was a really tense moment in the test match when you were a wicket away. And, um, again, it was getting dark. The lights were on. There was rain about. So it was, um, yeah, it was a bit of an anxious moment. When, you, when you're a bit anxious and a bit nervous, there's not as much... <laughs> rubbish spoken or, or carrying on or talking yourself up. It's just more about, uh, again, getting back out there and, and trying to get that one more wicket. Okay, the last wicket comes a couple overs later. Hazelwood hits Overton on the front pad and is given. Ash is retained, but yeah. Overton reviews it. How confident yeah. were you waiting for that replay? Oh, no, no doubt. You can see in our celebration when he hits him in the pad and it's given that we know. Yeah, sometimes in a game you just know they're, they're plum and um, that was one of them. Oh, big shot, big shot. What's he doing? Gone! Review it, obviously, but I don't think it'll matter. That hit flush in the knee and was hitting middle stump halfway up and you could tell the moment it, it crashed into his pad that that was out. It wasn't like one of those ones where you appeal and then you look around to see if he, is he going to refer it or it might be outside the line or whatever. We just, everyone just piled on. We knew how out that was. Then the only worry was the no ball. Well, replay shows Hazel keeps his foot behind the line, three reds, and for the second time in a couple of minutes, you get to celebrate the win. Yeah. Looking back at the footage, Tim, you stare down the barrel of Spider Cam and give it the big fist bump. Now, I'm not saying it was a David Warner leap, but was that planned? 
No, it wasn't. It was just, I don't know, it's just one of those moments, isn't it? It's absolute joy and emotion and, and everything coming out and, and the thing was sort of right there. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I just sort of went with it and, and that's what happened. Certainly don't plan too many celebrations for winning the Ashes and especially after a referral. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think what you saw there from everyone was just genuine happiness and elation, a lot of hard work and, um, you know, the fact that we'd been able to secure the Ashes was, uh, yeah, one of the greatest, one of the best feelings I've ever had on a cricket field was that 30 seconds. And to be honest, in the end, him referring it made it even better. <laughs> it made it get, made you give two little bursts of it, as you said. So, um, yeah, that was a, a special feeling. That's why you play the game. Kumar ball trucker coming up. Impact outside the off. Impact in line. Wickets hitting. Great Stay joy with your original decision out. You're on camera Fabulous now. performance. Magnificent game of cricket here at Old Trafford. Marvellous scenes. Australia retain the Ashes. You've been in the in the change rooms after Shield wins, Test match wins. Can you describe the emotions in the change rooms after that win, after retaining the Ashes? Yeah, it was. Yeah, everyone was bloody excited. There's no doubt about that. It was. Mine, mine was funny because I, 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 I have to go out and do all the media and stuff after it. And, um, obviously, after the week before, it was for me, it was absolute joy and excitement, like right then and there out in the middle. And that's the greatest part of it. I reckon that couple of minutes after it um, with your teammates waiting for that decision or, you know, when Josh did hit him in the pad, um, that, that joy that you get when that happens is, is hard to describe, I reckon. Um, and then when I'm back in the rooms, I, I honestly, it was just sort of relief because we'd sort of been smacked a little bit in the media the week before for some of the things we did in the last hour, which was probably fair enough. Um, but again, I thought it just showed great character of, of our group and our team to be able to turn it around in, you know, three or four days and, and go again. And, and this time not, not let the opportunity slip. And, um, yeah, so I was obviously elated, but I was bloody tired and, a lot of it was was just relief as well that we we'd got it done. So um, yeah, it was a pretty special feeling. It wasn't the biggest night I've ever had, that's for sure. We we <laughs> um, kept a bit of a lid on. Well, yeah, we had we had a little bit of a go in the change rooms, but um, and there were some funny moments in the change rooms. There's no doubt about that. And some great moments, but um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a huge night, but it was um, energetic and, and entertaining. One of those moments captured brilliantly on the Amazon Prime doco, the test, was yeah. the reenactment of the final wicket. And Mitch Marsh yeah. wasn't too thrilled at being, being, as being cast as Overton. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's how it started was we were calling him Overs because I think Overs is a pretty big fella. He's got a fairly sizable head on him and, and Mitch Marsh has got probably one of the biggest domes in, in the world. So um, I think sort of during the, the – the fourth test, people we started to call him overs anyway, um, <laughs> and yeah, it was, I don't know how that started, but it was bloody funny. I think blokes were just, I think Mitch was just being Mitch. I think he put the helmet on and was carrying on a bit, and, and I think he might have been reenacting it himself. And then one thing led to another, and all of a sudden we had a weird keeper in, and then we had an umpire, and then Josh was bowling it again, and um, yeah, then we just had to pile on again. So again, they're they're great memories and. Um, yeah, I think every time any of us sort of go back to Manchester or go into those rooms, that's one of the things you'll you'll certainly remember first. Tim, what was your favourite on-field moment of the series? We might have just talked about it. 
Uh, yeah, I think that probably is it. I think, yeah, again, just for sheer joy, I would have to say when, when we got that last wicket in Manchester. Um, definitely, um, from a sort of personal point of view. And then I think from a cricket point of view, like I, it was funny, it was amazing to be able to see Smithy do what he did in that first test because the pressure going into an Ashes is, is hard to describe. It's unlike any other series and um, again, for us to be over there where they're sort of at you and against you the whole time normally, um, then with the escalated sort of tension around what had happened and Steve and that coming back into the side, that was that was an intense lead up, um, an intense crowd, huge pressure and he just walked out and just put on a clinic. And I remember sitting there just thinking, regardless of whether I'm playing in this game, I'm just I'm seeing one of the greatest innings and players that you're literally ever going to see. And I can actually remember sitting there thinking that. And I might, at one stage, I might have been the next batter in. I just feel like I cannot believe I'm sitting here watching this. I didn't feel like I was playing in that game for some of those innings that he played. I was just in awe of his, not just his cricket ability, because we all knew that, but the way, again, he just put it all to the side and, and went out and just did the job was, was amazing to see up close. How about off the field? What was your favourite off the field moment? And off the field is the change room, the team bus, team hotel. Could be yeah, there. there was many, many great moments and funny moments. Oh, I do remember being in a bar after the first test with James Pattinson, uh, a few of his mates who had made the trip over, uh, and my brother and a few, a few of his mates, and, and that ended late. We obviously had a fair layoff. Yep. between the first and tech, second test and it had been a while since I think we anyone had won at Edgebaston so we celebrated that one reasonably hard and um, yeah I just remember being there with you know it was a pretty special sort of moment again to be there with my brother and, and friends of mine from Hobart and then Pato had um, a heap of blokes there from um, from when he grew up and yeah we had a, a pretty good night it probably got a little bit out of hand we're totally honest but um, but that can happen on an Ashes series when you're away the fortress of Edgbaston. Geez, you got a lot of stick from uh, that comment before yeah. the first test. Is it still outside the top fifteen, or is it is it plummeted even further? Uh, might, no, it might be in there. It might be in there. But again, I actually spoke about this last week when someone asked me. I I had never played. I'd played one game at Edgbaston. And it was against Pakistan in a T twenty, and <laughs> so I was like, I kind of. It actually shocked me when he asked me that question. I was like, what this ground? Because I was like looking at it, I'm thinking it's tiny. It's not, you know, it's big 25,000. I don't think it's going to be that intimidating. And then, uh, yep, the next day, well, bang, as soon as we walked out for warm-up, I was copping it on the way out of the net. <laughs> but again, I look back at that now and think, God, that was, that was just really, really cool to be a part of because that crowd was absolutely pumping. And they were into us and they were consistent, like, they went for, well, I won't say five days because you could hear a pin drop on day five, but the first four days they were absolutely relentless and you got to sort of tip your hat to that um, that kind of support and, and how they just went and went and went. They did not stop from the first ball to the last ball. Um, and again, like at the time you think, Jesus, it's difficult and it's uncomfortable and, um, and now I look back at it and just think I would never give that experience back ever again. That was just, that's something you remember for the rest of your life, the noise that that crowd was make, the song they were singing. Um, again, just being a part of a, a first Ashes test in England. I think that Edgebaston crowd, the way they went about it and the way they got stuck into us just made it, um, again, all the more special. And 
and have really, I suppose, made it a, a sort of lifelong memory in a good way that, um, you know, I, I feel great that I've, I got to experience that. I feel very lucky. Just a few more before we let you go. Um, the next test, the Oval, Australia retain the Ashes at Manchester. How disappointing was it not being able to cap off the series with a win? Yeah, a bit disappointing. Um, still, still makes me angry now thinking about it, actually. Um, and again, it, it, it wasn't that we celebrated too hard or anything like that. I think guys looked after themselves pretty well. Um, I just think now looking back with experience, it was it was actually the emotional high of Manchester and then it, it was almost like having a bit of a downer, I think. Mm. Um, so that was such a big emotional high and the turnaround in between tests was really quick. Um, and I don't think like in, in Leeds, we'd left that test match in Leeds. I think in Manchester, we, we took that with us and, and almost expected it to happen again. Um, so, yeah, look, we learned some valuable lessons about that, and particularly now that every test counts to, to a test championship. But, again, I think, you know, I think personally, looking back now, with the emotional high, not being able to quite get yourself back down and, and grounded and, and 100% focused on the next test because of the quick turnaround. But I also think had we have had another two or three days like you normally would, I think um, you would have seen a much better Australian team. But, um, you know, we also dropped a number of chances in the first day, which which could have made a huge difference. So there's a lot of ifs and buts, but um, at the end of the day, we didn't perform well enough and, and we paid the price. And uh, again, probably took a little bit of the shine off something um, really special. It's funny you mention that because a lot of the talk was about your decision to bowl first, but you know, if Australia yeah. hold those catches, it could have been a completely yeah. different story. But we'll just talk us through the decision to, to, to bowl first because it, it got a sense in talking to some of the your teammates that they all thought that win the toss bat first, but was there a late change of mind? Or? Oh, well, this is one of my irks when you play cricket because everyone says in hindsight, oh, we should have won the toss yeah. bat. I asked a number of teammates that morning and I'll tell you what, they were either sitting on the fence or saying bowl. Yeah, right. Um, I had a couple maybe say that. But again, look, it is what it is. Made the decision and, and if we want to sit back and, you know, I think a, a poor cricket team would sit back and say, oh, we lost that game because of the toss. We didn't. Um, and, you know, on another day, they might have won the toss and batted. And so you've got to be better than that. We've got to be executing our skill better. Um, you know, I get asked all the time now, would you bowl? Well, with hindsight, yeah, I probably would bat. But mm. um, unfortunately, at the time, we don't get hindsight. So I'm not going to waste any time um, thinking about, you know, if we had have chosen a, a different route at the top, so I would prefer to sit back and say, well, how can we, how can we get better um, if we're bowling first in those conditions um, or how do we field better? So, um, yeah, it looks one of those things. Um, I think every captain goes through it. You make a call every now and then and it's not the right one, but um, you learn from it and you move on. Um, you know, I think I've said ever since, you know, like it's going to take a, there's going to need to be branches coming out of it for me to bowl first again. <laughs> I always find it funny that a team that bats first, wins a toss and bats first, and they're three or four down at lunch. They say, oh, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't bat very well. They sh- no one ever says they should have yeah, bowled first. Exactly. No, exactly. It's like a this big um, thing. It's like you're almost a bit of a soft cock if you decide to bowl first, which mm. I, I personally have never got. Um, I understand in test cricket, though, like it's totally different to shield cricket. I laugh in shield cricket when teams when the wicket's green and teams win the toss and bat. Because in the four days, as silly as this sound, wickets don't deteriorate as badly as they do in the fifth. Yeah. And and Ricky Ponting's actually put it to me best 
ever since that moment. He said, well, you know, is it going to be, you just got to think, is it going to be harder to bat on day one than it is on day five? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's how you make your decision where I kind of look and sort of go, oh, well, if we bowl well, we might not have to get to day five. Like, day five could be irrelevant. But, um, again, test group's a lot harder than that. Just listen to Ricky. He knows all. Well, yeah, he does now. But, again, he, he went through the same thing, yes. didn't he? Yeah. So, he's, he still backs um, that call. He still backs it. He can't give that away. He can't give yeah. that away. Yeah. No, he's a bit more stubborn than me. I, <laughs> I certainly would have bowled, batted first now. Um, but, again, I don't want to use that as an excuse, and I don't think we should as a team. We, we still – there's going to be times when you're going to have to bat first on green seamers and you're going to have to bowl first on flat wickets. And, and what wins your games is, is skill, not whether you get to bat or bowl first. And, um, you know, if you're going to be a team, a successful team, you've got to do it well in any conditions. And um, as I said, hindsight would probably make a different decision. But I think if we look at ourselves as a team, we, we were far from our best at um, day one. Two more to go. Tim, when you look back in the whole series, was it mission accomplished or unfinished business? Uh, yeah, it's definitely unfinished business. I mean, you'd like to have beaten them 5-0, wouldn't you, to be honest? But, um, you know, I won't get back to England, I don't think it's fair to say. So, um, yeah, I think it's unfinished business. I think we want to go there and, and dominate them and show that we can play with a Duke ball. I think we're, we're getting better at it all the time. Um, so, yeah, un, unfinished business, I think, for the Australian cricket team. And had we have just won that last test, um, or won the Headingley test, I'd say, yeah, mission accomplished. But unfortunately, we didn't quite get there. But um, yeah, job done, mission not accomplished. And last question, putting you on the spot here a little bit, as you said, you might not get back there. And let's say you're not playing in 2023. Who's going yeah. to be the captain of Australia over there in England for the next Ashes series? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, you know, as we've seen, so much can change, can't it? So. Mm. When we're looking at another few years, look what what I think is pleasing is that there'll be probably a number of candidates by then. So um, I think Pat Cummins is showing that he's got leadership qualities. There's no doubt about that. Travis Head's done a lot of um, captaining of his of his state um, and has really started to secure himself as a as a Test batsman. And um, well, actually, he's had a brilliant start to his career um, as a Test batsman. There's there's a few others coming through as well, but yeah, it's hard and and would be unfair to sort of pinpoint one person. But as I said, I think the great thing is that there's now some options and um, that's what we wanted to sort of set out to achieve a few years ago. But it's unlikely to be you. Uh, I think that? it's more than unlikely that I'll be going <laughs> to England. I think you could put your house on it that I will not be going there. Well, I might be going there, but I won't be playing. How's that? Do you still want to try and get to World Test Championship final if that's still a thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, well, that's not too far away now, is it, to be honest? Yeah. Um, I'm around quite quickly now. Um, well, Tasmania's got through its lockdown period. It's still going on. But, um, yeah, um, as I've said a few times, I feel really good. I'm really lucky now that, looking back, that I missed a number of years with injury. So for, for my age, uh, physically, I'm, I'm going a lot better than my age would suggest. And, um, again, I think athletes these days just keep going for longer and longer because you know, we're, we're better looked after and we're more professional. So um, I feel better right now than I did 10 years ago, to be honest, because I'm fitter and stronger and um, understand my, my body and understand the game a lot better. So I feel fantastic at the moment. And 
as I said, that Test Championship goal is a huge one for us, for not only me but our but our team that we've got at the moment. And um, we'd love to keep the group together that we've got and, and finish that job. Tim, thank you again for coming on, mate. Uh, appreciate your time. And I guess well done for Rotani Ashes, the first captain to do so in England since 2001. And Steve Orr was there Beautiful. the whole time. So Yeah, Pogba was there. He was part of it. So he's done it twice now. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, as I said, I won't be there doing it twice. But I'd love to go over and see the next one as a, as a fan or a commentator or a, might even speak to Jay or see if I can get on the coaching path by then. But who knows? Great. Well, thanks again, mate. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. That's it for this special episode of the Ashes Revisited. We will be back next week to review the fifth Ashes test. But until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores, and video highlights on all things cricket. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.